0: fun fact about me, you guys. I was Beyonce for Halloween last year, like complete on-the-run tour Beyonce. Crushed it.
1: This episode is brought to you by Nadex, the binary options exchange. Binary options let you limit your risk and trade stock indices, commodities, Forex, and more from a single account. Nadex is a CFTC-regulated exchange with transparency, free market data, and fairness guaranteed. The future of trading is here now at NADEX.com. Futures options and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors.
0: And welcome back to Bloomberg Benchmark, a podcast about the global economy. It is Thursday, December 3rd. I'm Tori Stillwell, an economics reporter with Bloomberg News in D.C., and I am joined by my co-host, Aki Ito, our editor for Benchmark, who is also in D.C. with me this week. Hey, Tori. How's it going? Good. It's so weird to be looking at you. I
2: know. It's amazing. <laughs> it's so rare that we get to be in the same room together. That's right. Aki was in town for our party two nights ago. Yeah. Thank you so much to everyone who came to our party. It was so fun. And uh, it was so great to get to meet everyone in person. Yeah.
0: Too much fun. Well, let's talk about the big economic news of the week. Um, and the the thing that comes to mind for me is the IMF adding the yuan to its basket of reserve currencies. Yeah, historic moment. Basically, the International Monetary Fund has this basket of currencies, and it's called the Special Drawing Rights basket. That sounds really boring and complicated. But basically think of it as an international reserve asset. And there's a couple currencies already in there, the dollar, the euro, the pound, the yen. And now the yuan is, is being added to that as well. It's the first change in the makeup since 1999.
2: Back when I was a reporter in Japan, I started there six years ago and people were talking about this and it finally happened. So it's almost kind of a surprise that it's taken this long for the yuan to be added to this basket. Yeah, and people are saying it's sort of
0: like a stamp of approval, um, a sign that the international community is really behind China's efforts to really transform its economy and, and become a bigger player.
2: Yeah, so one of the criticisms of China, I think we talked about this in our second episode too, but uh, one of the criticisms has been that the Chinese government has such tight control over its own currency, and China's government is starting to loosen some of that control now. So the move uh, the other day was kind of in recognition of that.
0: Turning to our topic for today, if you've been anywhere near a radio in the last month or so, you've probably heard Adele saying hello to you from the other side, and if you haven't, which seems to me like it would be impossible, but if you haven't, here's a clip. must have you listened to the album?
2: Yeah. What I love it. Yeah? I just love it. I still think I like Taylor Swift better.
0: Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> You know my feelings on that. Um, well, anyways, Adele has been crushing album sales. Data from Nielsen Music show that she sold 3.38 million copies in the U.S. in her first week. In Sync and their album, No Strings Attached, previously held the record for most album sales in the U.S. in one week. And she beat them in just a few days after her release.
2: And uh, she also surpassed the first week sales of an album in any territory, which was previously held by Hikaru Utada's 2001 album *Distance*, which apparently sold more than three million copies. Fun fact: I was definitely a purchaser <laughs> of this album. It was probably my favorite growing up. My favorite, uh, one of my favorite albums growing up, and um, she also went to my high school.
0: That's pretty significant claim to fame.
2: Yeah, I know. the American school in Japan.
0: <laughs> well, I was like every other teenage girl and obviously had the no strings attached album from <laughs> NSYNC. <laughs> Justin, you will always have my heart. <laughs> but it's pretty, it's pretty hard to talk about how widely Adele's album sold without mentioning the fact that she did not make it available to streaming services like Spotify and Apple Music at the launch. Taylor Swift and Beyonce have also had huge success with their album launches by holding back their music from streaming services, but that seems to run a little counter to to where people think the industry is heading. Through 2014, the number of paid subscriptions to on-demand music services in the U.S. alone has more than tripled to 7.7 million since 2011. And all this made us want to know more about the future of this $15 billion global music industry, how it's going to coexist with streaming, and why we're talking about it on an economics podcast.
2: And for that, we're bringing on Lucas Shah, who is an entertainment reporter here at Bloomberg based in LA. Hey, Lucas.
3: Hey, how's it going? Good, Great.
2: Thanks. How are you?
3: Good. I, uh, I was also a purchaser of No Strings Attached, uh, but I can't say I bought the the Japanese record.
0: <laughs> i used to like i used to know the whole dance to like bye 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 you know and they like, jump and then like do the arm in front can you still do it yeah
2: l- later really?
0: well they yeah. sort of
3: they sort of mimic the butterfly with their hand right right like
2: that. <laughs> exactly <laughs> lucas are you a user of spotify or apple music
3: uh i i pay for both
2: You pay for both. I pay for Spotify. Ditto. Same here. It's amazing. So the way I consume music is I discover music on Songza, which I think Google recently bought. Um, And when I find songs that I like, I download it on my Spotify mobile app, and then I binge listen to it until I can't listen to it anymore. (laughs) And then I go back to Songza to find more songs.
3: Huh? So you don't use you don't use Spotify to discover music. You don't use YouTube to discover music.
2: No, not really. I feel like so, so songs uh, they curate music through human musicians. Um, they don't really use an algorithm uh, necessarily to create the playlists, and I think that makes a huge difference, in in my opinion.
3: Yeah, I just got uh, am I got signed up for this new h- human. Curated uh, music service that's in beta, where you tell, you answer a bunch of questions about your tastes, and then you have kind of a one-on-one. Uh, communication with someone who sends you a new playlist wow. every week or two
0: it sounds like uh sort of what we talked about on the robots podcast where it's like a premium now for like people to do yeah, this stuff yeah, that yeah, algorithms, that like a human
2: do. matchmaker right exactly
0: <laughs> well i mean lucas let's talk a little bit more about the music industry and and how it's been disrupted by streaming and Really link it to economics here. I think you point you put it really well um, in a conversation that we had earlier this week about it, sort of being a microcosm for the broader media industry.
3: Yeah, I mean, the the recorded music business was the first one to kind of suffer from the proliferation of the internet because the files are pretty small and so they were easy to to download, to share. You know, as the recorded music business peaked around the turn of the millennium, 1999, 2000, where it was $40 billion compared to the the $15 billion that you said uh, it is now, that was the peak of the CD boom, where you had the record industry convincing people to shell out. $15, $18 for a CD when they probably just wanted a song or two. Right. Uh, so you Wait, had,
0: Lucas, what was your first CD?
3: My first CD? I think it was a, a Red Hot Chili Peppers greatest hits album. It was That's like a 10 good 10 songs, first CD. Ten yeah. songs from the early, more funky rock days of the Chili Peppers. And I bought it at Rockaway Records. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Mine was Shania Twain. So I think you did a little bit ah! better than me. <laughs>
3: but Your, sorry,
0: what were you saying?
3: Yours probably sold better than this, uh,
0: <laughs> the 10
3: best. Yeah, so this this kind of, uh, this CD, the, the CD-fueled boom in the record business started to peter out after the, this boom in 99, 2000, when, you know, you had three of the, the five fastest-selling albums came out in 2000. That was when, I believe, No Strings Attached came out and set the record. You had a Backstreet Boys album. And you just had people going crazy for CDs and then Napster came along and LimeWire and Kazaa and all these different file sharing services. And so younger people no longer needed to to buy albums, they would just rip everything and download it for free. So that started to eat away at the business. And the record business was very nervous, and and then Apple came around and invented iTunes, which at the time, you know, they sort of forced the music industry's hand. But the music industry also hoped that it would stop this this proclivity for file sharing. And I think what ended up happening is digital sales did increase, but they didn't increase faster than CD sales declined. So the music mm-hmm. industry has basically been a state of perpetual decline for the past you know, 15 to 20 years. And there's been some discussion in recent years as to whether we're going to see something similar happen in video. You know, you've never seen file sharing or piracy kind of unsettle the, the TV and movie business to the same extent because the file sizes are so much bigger and because the quality of ripped material tends to be lower, and you want to watch it on a big screen, you know, music you can sort of listen to on any device, people are a little less particular about the quality. However, you have all of these streaming services popping up on the video side, whether it's Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, um, and just one or two of those seem to be substitutes for the entire kind of TV ecosystem for some younger consumers. And you also have a lot of young people watching video for free on YouTube rather than, say, watching Nickelodeon.
2: You know, another industry that I feel has tanked as a result of the Internet and all its free and extremely cheap goods is journalism. Yeah, Well, journalism
3: and music were were the ones that that got hit the fastest because, again, it's very, you know, you had a lot of people offering journalism articles for free that that people previously had to pay for.
0: Right. So they're they're both great examples of industries that have been completely, quote, disrupted <laughs> as the Silicon Valley types <laughs> like to say. <laughs> I try so
3: hard not to use that.
0: <laughs> but they no, they really are uh, great examples of how the internet has just totally transformed our economy and the and the way we do things. Um and so how has the music industry received streaming services it seems like it's kind of like a grudging acceptance i don't i don't know
3: yeah, that's probably fair. You know, it's they have a very complicated relationship with them because on the one hand, most of the record labels own stakes in streaming services, so they obviously don't own anything of Apple Music. Apple owns that outright, but record labels have a piece of Spotify, so they do have a vested interest in it succeeding. Um, but their their hope is that they can convince as many people as possible to pay for Spotify rather than use the free tier. So Spotify's strategy is they have this fr- they have a free service that is almost as good as the pay service, and they hope that that kind of serves as a funnel to Mm. bring in lots of customers who, when they see how much better the pay service is, will want to pay. And as it stands now, about a quarter of all Spotify users are paying subscribers, and the record industry would like that to be more like a third or a half. And so they're in this constant state of negotiation where they they want Spotify to grow because it's a much better alternative to YouTube. But they want Spotify to be better at getting those customers to pay. Uh, so they're in this—they're in this constant state of push and pull. Yeah.
2: So people, the record industry is cheering on Spotify more than YouTube because YouTube is completely free, whereas for Spotify, some people pay for it.
3: Yeah, and YouTube just introduced a service. Right, a pay they're working service. on that. But there's a lot of doubt as to whether that will actually work. And the payments that they get from Spotify are just better than YouTube. I mean, the whole the creative industries uh, have had to begrudgingly accept YouTube, but none of them like it. Because YouTube has introduced this idea that you can find any video, any song ever, and not have to pay for it. And the ad rates on YouTube are so low that payments are are minuscule for a a major media company.
0: And are things like uh, Spotify and Pandora profitable yet? Or... Are they still working on that?
3: No, uh, not yet. <laughs> yeah, Pan- Pandora has reported a profit a couple times in its 15-year history, uh, but but not often, and even when they do, it's a, a really small one. Spotify's not public, but from everything that you know, leaked documents and what people have been told, they're they're not profitable either, because these services have to pay out a tr- most of their revenue to the music business. Uh, and so they tend to point the finger at the music business and say, hey, we're actually paying enough out. You guys are not properly compensating your artists. The problem is, is that they're all fighting over a shrinking pie.
0: That's a good point. And uh, let's pick up on sort of, I guess, the benefits of streaming uh, for musicians, for the industry, for consumers, and the drawbacks after this break.
1: What do traders want? To limit risk, access every opportunity, and trade on a level playing field. Nadex Binary Options let you set your maximum profit and loss before the trade, so your risk is always limited. Find opportunities in multiple markets, stock indices, commodities, forex, even economic numbers, and Bitcoin, all from one account and platform. Nadex is a CSTC-regulated exchange with transparency, free market data, and fairness guaranteed. Innovations the financial industry needs, and Nadex already has. That's why we think binary options are the future of trading. And it's here now at NADEX.com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors.
2: Satori. Since we are an economics podcast, should we talk about the theoretical benefits and the drawbacks of streaming? Yeah, let's do a little cost-benefit analysis. Very nice. <laughs> With no equations, though. Right. <laughs> yeah. So first of all, I guess one benefit is that some people think of streaming as advertisement for artists the way that radio is. People say it could be a way for consumers to discover new music that you may not have heard otherwise, which you know helps artists create a bigger fan base. Um, That's certainly the case for me with services like Songza.
0: Yeah. And another uh, thing that we've, we've talked about already is that they are actually at least getting paid per listen, even though it may be like a fraction of a penny per stream. At least they're not getting pirated like they were before.
2: That's right. So, Tori, what are the drawbacks of streaming for musicians? Well, that fee rate
0: is super low. You'd have to stream it. All the time, basically, to make money off of it, to be able to quit your job and do this. Um, If they're just, if you're not really selling any albums, if I were an artist, I'd probably just like leave my laptop up all the time and just like do a continuous (laughs) loop of songs. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, the fee rate is, is tiny. And also, people don't have to buy a whole album just to get that one. Hit song. You know, I don't have to buy the whole Christina Aguilera album to hear Genie in a Bottle anymore mm-hmm. and just play Jeannie
2: in a Bottle whenever I want. Although that's not the fault of streaming services, right? iTunes was the one that ultimately unbundled yeah. song sales. Very true. Yeah. And Very then looking at the
0: consumer's perspective, which I think is is sort of easy for us to run through because they're all consumers of streaming services, uh, you get this huge library of songs that you didn't have access to before for basically the same price as a cd every month
2: yeah i mean you pay for spotify i pay for spotify lucas pays for both spotify and apple music that's got to mean that we find incredible value in it yeah and lucas i know nothing
0: about apple music i mean do you like it ha-
3: yeah, I I pay in part because it's my job. Right. Um, so I feel like... <laughs> Good <I> point.
2: Need... <laughs> wow, do you get <laughs> I, to expense that?
3: I do not. You need I to don't... talk to your boss about that <laughs> I know, <one. laughs> I pay for cable, I pay for Netflix, I pay for Hulu, I pay for Amazon, uh, Spotify, Apple Music, none of this is expensed. It's, it's, uh, it's unfortunate.
0: You're getting ripped off.
3: I am. Apple Music... Is, is is Most streaming services are similar. They have an, this unlimited or seemingly unlimited library of music. One of the things that Apple introduced to try and differentiate its service was this radio product where they have a live radio show around the world 24 hours a day uh, with hosts in Los Angeles, New York and London that's actually free. You don't have to pay for Apple Music to, to get that. Um, and then they also have a slightly different approach to curation, which is sort of a, a buzzword in, in the music streaming circles. Because one of the problems that people have with Spotify, with any of these, is that what the, the library is so vast that it's really hard to discover things, to find things, to, you know, to either stumble upon new music uh, or kind of remind yourself about music that you do like. And so there is a, a part of Apple music that is kind of tailored for you. I find to be good, not great. And I think some of that's because I tend to toggle between the two services. So it only knows kind of one segment of my listening habits.
2: Right, right. You know, it's really interesting how the record industry is declining. You know, we said it used to be $40 billion, Now it's $15 billion. And we also talked about how Spotify and Pandora, they're not really profitable yet because they have to pay out so much in royalties. hmm the big winner here is is us here. It's the consumer.
0: Well, a paper published in October, I believe, by Luis Aguiar. Did I did I say that right, guys? I think so. Okay, that sounds right. And incidentally enough, Joel Waldfogel, who we had on the show last week, um, they've looked into this. They want to know how streaming impacts the music industry. In money terms,
2: yeah, um, and it's they they had some really cool results. Yeah, so basically, they found that streaming does indeed discourage people from buying permanent downloads on iTunes. Um, so it does displace record sales, but it also drives down piracy because uh, services like Spotify and Pandora they make it easier for consumers to listen to music. Um, so in effect, they found that it's revenue neutral to the music industry, which is really kind of interesting
0: or help them.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not really the kind of narrative that you hear, I think, in the mainstream media.
3: Well, if, if the streaming industry were to grow large enough, it would actually be as good, if not better than the recorded music business. This is a point that that people at record labels make all the time is that, the, the annual spend for a, one streaming service, say it, so it's $9.99 a month, that ends up at $120 a year, is more than your average consumer ever really spent on CDs. So if you can get enough people, if you can get to kind of, mass with streaming, it's, it's great. The, the question is whether it can get there or if there are enough people who are willing to fork over that 9.99 dollars a month to make it worth it.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And uh, it's, it's a great challenge um, for the music industry to kind of figure out and also the technology industry to figure out. Because if they can get this right and they can get music industry sales back up again, that might be a model for other industries that are also getting digitally disrupted.
0: And we talked about Adele at the top of the show. So I want to loop back to that as we wrap up. But, I mean, Adele, Taylor Swift, as we mentioned... Beyonce, The Queen, <laughs> they took a stand against streaming and their albums sold like crazy. They made us all buy music. Is this something that other artists can do? Is, is it a viable option or is this something that only those three ladies will be able to, to make work?
3: that is a question to which we don't yet know the answer it's being debated at a lot of the different record labels you know th- this idea of making something available only for purchase and then kind of uh, distributing it to secondary platforms where it's you know, like treating Spotify and, and Apple Music essentially as a second window is what happens in most other sectors of the entertainment business. So if you look at the movie business, a movie comes out in theaters first, where you have to spend to buy a ticket and then popcorn and all that other junk, and then later on you can watch it on HBO or Netflix or wherever it is. In the TV business, usually you know you'll have a show premiere in one place and then it's what's called it's syndicated to other people. So there are multiple different points at which the rights holder collects for that. That property. It's been harder to make that happen in the music business because it's been hard to get people to pay for anything to, to begin with. So the question for for record labels for artists is uh, whether kind of most artists can can kind of uh, can employ the strategy that Adele Beyonce Taylor Swift have used and get people to buy more in those first you know, first few weeks, first couple months, and then put the music out on streaming services? Or is that really only, does that really only work for artists who don't need right. these other Mega services ballers, to promote basically. them, and who are so popular that they can actually force people to go and spend money? You know, it, we're, we're having a test on Friday, with probably with Coldplay. I, I just wrote a, a story this morning about how they have previously withheld their album, from Spotify, withheld their past couple albums. They have a new album coming out on Friday. They haven't said what they're going to do, so they could again withhold it from services. The danger for them is that their record sales are in decline. So, do they really have the power to to force people to go out and, and spend?
2: Well, that's a great question I guess for we'll us we'll to find end out. On. Yeah, yeah, Lucas, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, it was fun. Well, that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening to Bloomberg Benchmark. We'll be back again next week. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and on Bloomberg.com and also on iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Google Play, and all the other platforms. And while you're there, please take a minute to rate and review the show so more people can find us. And as always, we
0: love to hear what you guys thought about the show. So talk to us, follow us don't troll us on Twitter at at Tori Stillwell and at Aki Ito 7. And our guest Lucas is also on Twitter at at Lucas underscore Shaw. See you next week.
1: This episode was brought to you by Nadex. You know, any long-term investment is going to go through short-term dips and price fluctuations. Nadex binary options let you turn those short-term movements into trading opportunities. You decide your maximum profit and loss before each trade, so your risk is always limited. Trade stock indices, commodities, Forex, even Bitcoin in economic numbers, all from one account on a CFTC-regulated U.S. exchange. Instead of just watching the market's ups and downs, turn them into trading opportunities at nadex.com. It's the future of trading, N-A-D-E-X dot com. Futures, options, and swaps trading involves risk and may not be appropriate for all investors.
0: We're proud of our new and growing suite of original podcasts, all designed to help you navigate the complexities of business, financial markets, and the global economy. In addition to Bloomberg Benchmark, which you're listening to now, don't miss Odd Lots, a deep dive into the intersection of markets, economics, and finance with Joe Wisenthal and Tracy Alloway. There's also Deal of the Week with our mergers and acquisitions reporter, Alex Sherman, looking at a breakdown of the biggest deals and giving you an inside peek into corporate boardrooms. All three shows are available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Pocket Cast for Android, Bloomberg.com, and of course, the Bloomberg Terminal. Check them out and
3: subscribe today.